Let's do it. You ready? Arizona. Yeah, you know it, Roy. You know it. Welcome to a Saturday night right here in Phoenix, Arizona. Hello and welcome to Arizona FYI. This is our third episode. This will be about El Tiradito, the wishing shrine in Tucson. I'm joined today by Karen. Good evening. Good evening. It is it is evening. It is actually quite late evening. <laughs> Which reminds me, I probably should be having a drink right about now. But uh, seriously, I feel uh, like we're we're missing out here. We did just get back from the bar. So we did. There's that. So I'd like to read you a story, Karen. Okay. I know we, uh, we visited the shrine, but uh, there was nobody there to tell us this story, so I kind of had to, to find one of my own. So this story I am calling La Noche, La Luna, Los Amantes, El Hacha, or The Night, The Moon, The Lovers, The Axe, El Tiradito. La Noche, La Luna. Los amantes, el hacha, el tiradito. The night is hot and sweaty. The air hangs close and heavy with humidity. Drying puddles dot the enclosed courtyard of the ranchito. The leaves of the bougainvilleas still glisten from storm-fallen raindrops in the cloudy half-moonlight. An old fountain burbles gently in the middle of the yard behind a young Mexican farmhand. Juan Oliveras stands before the window portal, spying in upon his seated father. His madrastra enters and begins serving dinner from a tray. Carmelita is much younger than her new husband. And standing in the soft lamplight, in her floral Tabasco skirt and white blouse, Juan cannot help but feel attraction to his stepmother. He also feels envy for his father's ill-deserved good fortune. Juan's father has been aware of his son's attraction to his new esposa and had sent him away to a ranch outside of town. This allowed him to enjoy his new wife in peace. Señor Oliveras was a jealous man and guarded his possessions closely, be they cattle, silver pieces, or young women from the old barrio. Señor Oliveras began eating, and as she stepped back from the table, Carmelita brushed a wave of dark hair from her eyes. A movement at the window attracted her attention, and in the dark portal she glimpsed one's familiar face. A tinge of longing passed across her face, and she excused herself from the room. Juan made his way to the kitchen door and met Carmelita as she slipped from the thick adobe doorway into the silvery light of the moon. Te estranie, mi amor, was all she could manage before being embraced by the lover she had not seen for weeks. The chirping of los grillos covered the sounds of their passion, while the occasional clink of Señor Oliveras's knife on his plate assured them that he was still engaged. Los amantes, the lovers, forgot themselves in the reunion and were carried away by their ardor, until the heavy door from the dining room was thrown open across the courtyard. Como pudiste? bellowed the señor. He charged toward the pair, and Juan turned to run from the courtyard and slipped beyond the main gate. 
Senor Oliveras was in hot pursuit, and in his blind rage at being made a fool of his own house, grabbed for an axe as he passed the gatehouse. Fifty steps from the wall, Juan ran into the desolate street, trying to escape his jealous father. A sudden impact on his back spun him around, and as he tumbled down to the dirt, he saw the horror of realization in his father's eyes. Senor Olivares had just thrown un hacha into his own fleeing son's back, murdered him in the street in his own jealous rage. As the shock of what he had done set in, Juan lay dying in the street, a pool of dark blood clumping into the loose dust. Carmelita screamed and ran towards the center of town, hoping to find the sheriff. By the time she returned, Senor had fled south to Sonora. The next morning, Juan was buried by the townspeople, and for days, Carmelita lay crying and wailing in the sight of his murder. It was not long after, her body was found suspended from the balcony of the Oliveras Casita. She had taken her own life to join Juan in the next. Because of the love affair between Juan and Carmelita was forbidden and sinful, the church refused to allow their bodies to be buried in consecrated ground. To the Mexican Catholic population of Tucson, this meant the souls of Juan and his lover, victims of circumstance and forbidden romance, would be cast into purgatory forever. A shrine was assembled on the spot of the murder, and petitioners began to visit, praying for the salvation of El Tiradito, the little castaway. As the years went on and the shrine was moved to accommodate a growing city, the original story has been lost to time. Some say Juan's lover was his mother-in-law, and both she and his rebuked wife were victims of their own grief. Some elaborate on the fate of Senor Oliveras as he fled to Mexico, crafting an elaborate punishment involving him being scalped by Apaches, tortured, and being left to die strapped to a suero cactus. Some attribute the worst behavior of men to El Tiradito, making him into a gambler, a thief, a drunkard, or a womanizer, and say this is why the church refused him. There are as many stories as people to tell them, and the years have obscured the truth. Nowadays, the third location of the shrine sits between a small museum and the El Minuto Café, a quietly reverent graffiti adobe wall and raw iron candelabra occupy the lonely parcel. Petitioners ask St. Jude Tadeo as a last resort for cessation of pain or for the health of a dying loved one. Notes to the saints are stuffed into the cracks in the adobe brick walls, and pictures and mementos watch over visitors of the shrine. Karen and I took a trip down to Tucson to view the shrine uh, and hopefully find somebody to talk to down there. When we went, we didn't see anybody, and we went back after dark and didn't see any, any petitioners whatsoever. And actually no candles were even lit. Nope. Which might be a good thing, since it is watched over by the patron saint of lost causes, and maybe maybe it was a good thing that people weren't there tonight, or, you know, on Saturday. <laughs> uh, it's a... The shrine has a very long history. It's 120-ish years. 1870 was reportedly when this story happened. So almost 150. 150, yeah, I guess it could be. Encroaching on 150. 150 years, yeah, because uh, a lot of the things that we're saying 100 years were around the 1976 centennial, which would be 40 years ago. Oh, man, all right, that's, uh, that's a sobering thought. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so there are many, many different stories about this. Uh, all of the... 
all of the papers, all of um, every story that talks about this, every YouTube video of people standing there, every news article, everything, every time you see this in the news anywhere, it's there are as many stories as there are people to tell it. Uh, El Tiradito is, um, I think it's one of the older things that you can see in Tucson that still exists. And even though this is the third site of the shrine, this isn't the original place. This isn't actually where he died. He died maybe a block or two east. It's not very far. It was only moved just to accommodate a few streets and that sort of thing. Um, the current site was moved in 1946, I believe. 42, 46? 1940. In the 1940s. <laughs> oh, we'll, we'll compromise on that. In the 1940s, it was moved to its current site. Uh, in the 1920s, it was moved before. And from 1870 to 1920s, it was in its original position. Uh, it started out as the women of the village would come and pray for El Tiradito's soul to help him get through purgatory, hopefully to be redeemed or at least so that he had somebody who was praying for him. It eventually morphed into a wishing shrine. So people would come and ask him for miracles because the people that came and and prayed for Juan or, you know, prayed for the soul of El Tiradito would have something good happen in their lives. And they would say, oh, Juan helped me out with this thing because I went and prayed at his at his shrine. Uh, and that caught on and people began to go and pray for him and pray for their own things. And that that became the wishing shrine. Um, in Catholicism and Mexican Catholicism, there is a long tradition of saints and saints performing little miracles for people who come to pray at their shrines and give them offerings and, and that sort of thing. Um, this one is interesting because it's it's 150 years old, which in Arizona and in the United States, 150 years old is pretty old. Um, it's supposedly, and I'm not sure if it's true, but it's the only shrine in the United States to a sinner. Uh, the church doesn't recognize it officially. It's on the U.S. Register of Historic Places. Uh, it was put there in the 1970s um, by a grassroots campaign to uh, that was organized to prevent a highway from going through the site and basically taking out half the old barrio. And so the, the, the people of, the, of Barrio Viejo gathered together around El Tiradito Shrine, petitioned the U.S. government to put it on the historic places list in order to prevent the highway from coming through and destroying their their um, neighborhood. Their neighborhood. Uh, during that time, there was a, the... That movement spawned a festival, and that festival went on for 20 years, from 1970, I think, 6, 76, from 76 to 94, something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, and every year there was a, a, a festival. They would have music. The very first festival actually had a song that was dedicated to El Tiradito and, and the story. Uh, it's the Corrido del Tiradito. Uh, we can, I'm going to try and play a little bit of that as a file. Um, so anyway, there, there are a bunch of different stories. Uh, we kind of looked over these stories. Did any of them, do you have any favorites of all of the alternative stories? Alternative ones? Um, the one, I think the one that stuck out the most was that 
it was it was her brother that came to visit. He brought his uh, wife yeah. from the small town in so, Mexico. El Tiradito, Juan Oliveras. It, most of the stories seem to seem to say that his name is Juan Oliveras. They, uh, his father is unnamed. His wife is unnamed. His mother-in-law or stepmother is unnamed. Uh, the only thing that they seem to agree on is that this is Juan Oliveras, is the man who is El Tiradito. They don't necessarily agree that he was a good man or that he was a womanizer or a bad man. Uh, the patron saint of lost causes, Saint Jude, is would rec- would seem to indicate that he was not a good man because you don't invoke Saint Jude unless somebody's stronger than heroin and this is their last chance, or they are a womanizer, a gambler. Uh, well, but look at like Saint Jude Church or Hospital yeah, this for is also true. children with cancer. I mean, it's just that yeah. you're in a. You need help that you're you're at your wit's end. Which I guess could could be the same thing because he doesn't have a chance to get into heaven or to be mm-hmm. to be accepted or have his soul be consecrated. And thus praying to Saint Jude is a lost cause because he can't get in by the rules. So maybe they're looking for an intercession by Saint Jude. Um anyway, the story that you brought up, it's it was one went back to Mexico. So, who was it? No, it was... Um, I don't remember the name. The man went to Mexico, found his wife, came back to Arizona, to Tucson. And they were living there. And he came home one night. And here is his wife in an embrace with this other man that he doesn't know. And he's in a fit of passion. And he stabs and kills the man. And I don't remember if he killed the, his wife as well, but one of the older women in the neighborhood came up to him and said, oh, did you have a chance to meet your wife's brother who's mm-hmm. here visiting from Mexico? It's not a really happy story, and it's actually very, very sad. So yeah, they're, they're all very sad. <laughs> um, but that one stuck in my head is just that whole, like, blind passion. Mm-hmm. They, they all seem to agree on, on he was killed in a fit of passion by another man, usually the father or father-in-law. Uh, some of them say it wasn't one, but it was somebody else. Some say it was the son of a wronged woman who killed, uh, killed Juan uh, instead of the father or the husband. Uh, others say that it was a drunken, jealous woman chaser who killed his own son in a fit of jealous rage and then thus became El Tiradito. Um... And others even say that it was the son bent on avenging his mother's death who killed the Tiradito. Um, all of these stories are interesting. All of them are as bad as valid as the others because you, we just can't substantiate it. There's, yes. no, there's no archaeological record of this. There's no... I, I don't even know if there's an actual... Bar- like, we know where he's buried. That might not be a thing. It, it really feels like the original Arizona urban legend. It's seriously it, an urban legend. Yeah. So many different takes. Like you gave me a stack of these newspaper clippings from mm-hmm. the 20s through today. I think there was one from like 2008, yep, not that long ago. And every single one had the similar pattern, but totally different details. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there was definitely some... Uh, even those articles may even re- reveal some sort of, like, 
bias or pattern in the way that news articles are written mm-hmm. because you could tell that the, the 1920s one I had notated on it and I don't remember why I haven't, I haven't I have to go back and read it in the margins of the 1920s article I put this article sucks <laughs> it's a very long article it goes through a bunch of different things but it, I couldn't glean anything from it that was actually useful it was a lot of um in the early 1900s, there was like an Egypt craze that went around and people were, were fascinated with Egypt and everything Egyptian, pyramids, mummies, whatever, because they found King Tut's tomb in 1903, whatever. Um, it felt like that. All of the all of the news sources were like the curse of the mummy's tomb. The mummies are running around and killing people. And like it was a very like they didn't have 24 hour news. They didn't have video. They didn't have any of this. They were relying on secondhand accounts of a thing that this guy has seen and it's percolated through as a game of telephone through all these different news sources. That's kind of what the 1920s article about this felt like was like 40 years after 50 years after the thing had actually happened. Some news reporter in the 1920s was like, Oh, I'm going to go down there and uh, we'll talk to some people down there. Yeah. That's the ticket. And it was just kind of like a, a lot of speculation, a lot of the the whole story is speculation. The only things we know for sure. There was a shrine in the 1870s. There was a shrine in the 1920s. There was a shrine in the 1940s. And the 1940s one is the same one that is today. We have pictures of the one in the 1926. Looks a little different. Uh, we know where it was. It was a mile, not even a mile east. It was a block east. And these blocks are tiny. So it was 200 feet that way. Um, we kind of know where the first shrine was. We know that it was there during the Elysian Garden, Gardens, Elysian Grove period, uh, which we talked about, Dan and I talked about in the last uh, bullshit session. Um, we know that people come to it and pray for uh, redemption. They pray for mm-hmm. ceasing pain. They pray for preemie babies that died, you know, without any, without being baptized or whatever. Like, this is a place to come when you are at the end of your rope. This is a place to come when you need something. The idea is that you're not there to get something materialistic, but you're trying to get some, trying to get his help with something in your life. Uh, it's been romanticized by countless generations. Well, countless generations. It's been romanticized by five generations of people who have gone to the shrine for various reasons, and the legend has just morphed over time. So, because it's been a song, mm-hmm. um, there was an interpretive dance. <laughs> that we saw one of the articles from the 1970, I think it was 1975. Yep. And has it been in anything else? Has it been I, captured in any other way, movie-wise? or? I don't know if it's been in any movies. Um, when you search it, you get a lot of news articles, but you don't get movies so much. Okay, I just wasn't sure like how far-reaching this story is. I mean, it was it was very I did interesting. Find, I did find an article in Italian that was very much like um, probably from a Vatican website that was basically like, oh, yeah, there's a and I had to use Google Translate. <laughs> it was very much like oh, there's a shrine over there. Yeah, we don't we don't recognize it, but it's cool. You should go see it. <laughs> like, all right. And it, it is. A lot and more you like, should. Oh, there's a shrine over there. You should go. That's oh, that's racist. That's racist. <laughs> um, so. It, it, the Vatican knows about it, I think. Like, I think there's an, like, there's an unofficial official, like, eh, it's a thing. It exists. Um, 
I didn't run across any depictions in movies or TV shows or anything like that. I know that we watched a, I guess it was like a documentary, a short documentary on YouTube where they went there. And it was very interesting to see it with people. And so that was, we saw two things on YouTube about it. One that was super shameful because it was two Anglo people who were super irreverent and didn't really understand what it was about. And who were just kind of like clowning around in it. Which is just, I don't know, I felt weird watching that. Um, and then we saw a video of a docent talking about it from the museum next door. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his version of that was actually really interesting. And it I was. recommend that. Um, I'll put I'll try and put that in the show notes so people can watch that one. Uh, I'll forget that the white people existed. Just ignore that one. <laughs> that one's pretty bad. Hopefully this doesn't come across as that. But, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I thought it was going to be like a really neat story and a lot of that. So we went down to Tucson to do some research on this and try and actually get more firsthand accounts of it because I I can do all the research here, but without being able to see it. And actually the experience of going and seeing it was pretty powerful. Yes, it was. I am not a spiritual person. I, as Dan says, I don't have emotions. My heart is made of stone, et cetera, et cetera. I, when I was in that space, I could feel that there had been a lot of emotion, like People had spent energy in that spot. Very true. In that place. The the um, the stone, it's like the Wailing Wall in Israel. It's the stones are worn down. They're all of the, the, I don't think Adobe uses any sort of filler, but the space between the, the, the bricks are not even hollowed out, but they've just been like so many pieces of paper have been shoved into these things that it's just chipped away at the brick over the years. And this shrine has been there since 1940. So that is, you know, <laughs> encroaching on 80 years, 80 good years, 75, 75 years of people shoving pieces of paper into this like mud brick. Like you've now got like pigeonholes across. That's this a really thing. good way to describe it. The pigeonholes and all those pigeonholes have like, lined binder paper in it they have um computer paper there is stationary there's a like um a little metal butterfly that's been stuck in one of them there's uh i don't know if there's a rosary but there was like a necklace in one of them um some like i didn't want to you know i'm just like i'm not a catholic i'm not a spiritual person i do understand all of the i do understand that it's a sacred place and i obviously did not read any of them i didn't touch anything there um, but being at, like looking at them, you could see that they were written. Well, all of the ones I saw were written in Spanish. Uh, and you could see like a couple of words on them. And it was like, oh, that one's about cancer. Or there's a picture of a preemie baby over there, like wearing a little hat. And I don't know if it made it. But that's super heavy to like. I, I guess for me, it's weird because I didn't grow up with like a public shrine of grief or, or hope or anything like that. So I did, I've never really had that like publicized. And I don't think it's, it's as much grief as it is hope Yeah. being that they are reaching out to St. Jude. Again, I am, I was not raised Catholic. We're not the best people to talk about this. <laughs> no. But the, the space I, unlike Mark, wear my heart, not only on my sleeve, but about a foot off of my sleeve. <laughs> you balance me out quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, Walking up to the space, it was really interesting because we parked on the other side of 
the museum. Mm-hmm. And so we got to experience. Which I think if you are going to go down there, do that. Don't park at the cafe, park at the museum. You, you get a really nice experience walking up. There's a lot of interpretive. Um, Which I learned a lot about the the the, the uh, garden Carrillo's Carrillo's garden. Carrillo's Gardens, uh, which turned into Elysian Grove. It's amazing. I talked about it with Dan uh, on the, the bull session. Uh, but getting to see the little interpretive signs before you even get to the mm-hmm. get to the shrine was interesting. You kind of work up into it where you yeah. slowly start seeing that this, the Barrio neighborhood, it, I mean, obviously it's, it's been old. there a long time. Well, And the signs start with, there was an old spring here. Mm-hmm. So this area was where people would come to get water. And then the next sign is there in the 18, 1860s, 1870s, 1880s, there was like a Victorian uh, theme park here in a little bit after that. It turned into uh, the the barrio. It turned into the barrio viejo, the old the old neighborhood. So they they put in houses and that sort of thing. But you're starting you you start with these like interpretive signs that are just really easy to read, really digestible. And there's only like three or four of them, uh, four or five of them, mm-hmm. but starting to read those things, you start to realize that like, Oh, this is, this is an old neighborhood. There's a lot of history here. And then you come around the corner after the museum and you see the, like the first thing that you see is like the state of Arizona has put up a sign. Maybe the city of Tucson has put up a sign saying like this place might be rented out for weddings. So yeah, it's definitely a park. You can tell it's a part of the park system. Yeah, it's, it's, it is. It's, it's part protected. of the Parks and Rec. I don't know if it's a park because the, muse- the museum takes care of it. Be- well, no, it actually had like Parks and Rec okay. all over on the signage that we saw. And then as you walk, it, it's a, a big open. Big, I don't want to say it's lot. Not, it's not big open. It's tiny. It's a tiny shoebox of a lot. It feels open just because there are. It is open because I mean it's nothing there, but it's it's a shoebox. It's a lot. And it's got a surrounding of cacti mm-hmm. that take you up to it. And there's a national a historic. The uh, Na- National Register of Historic thank Places. You. And, and it was really interesting because it, it explains why it was and the history of with the, the freeway coming very in. Short history yeah, very, yeah. I mean, it's not a big sign, but yeah. it kind of sets the tone that you're you are somewhere special. Yes. And as you. Dang, it just makes me sad thinking about it. As you walk up towards, it's almost like an altar mm-hmm. when you go to like a Catholic church and they have the candles. Yeah. And that's right in the middle. And there are smaller candelabras sort of sprinkled around yep. between the altar and the actual shrine. And as you were saying, the pigeonholes. And there there were random pictures Um an infant, a woman, obviously someone's probably mother, young, maybe in her fifties and a lot of graffiti. Mm-hmm. Just, but all the graffiti is like thinking of you, dad, or, mm-hmm. you know, and some of it's chalk, like just a piece of Crayola mm-hmm. sidewalk chalk. It's only going to be there for a couple of weeks. And then, and some of it is actually, Put into the adobe, like someone spent time to whittle and scratch in the fact to make it stay. Mm -hmm. So it was very, it was very moving. There were a few things that were uplifting. There was, she said, yes. Yes. Like, thank you, Teredito, for helping me with this. And she said, yes, it's all good. And like, came back and 
and said that to them. And, um, some of it is just heartwarming, like thinking of you, dad, or whatever. Some of it, uh, there was one there. Um, what was the one? It, We'll have to I, post pictures. We took lots of pictures at the shrine. I can't wait for God's kingdom to come or something like something that. Something like, like that. I don't know how to, to interpret that. Is that for the world? Is it for that person? Like, I don't know. It's There's just like each person has their own agenda when they go there. And it's interesting to see that that mix of some people are happy. Some people are sad. Some people need help with a certain thing. Some people are there just to help himself and um i just i don't know as as like i went to sunday school as a kid but i didn't like get into the whole religion thing it was still powerful even even though even though i was watching it from as an outsider um to see it so yeah definitely it was very overwhelming like just huge wave of emotion Mm -hmm. What's odd is when we went, we went back later, we were there at four in the afternoon. So it was, it was light out. It, we were able to see and experience everything more in detail. Mm -hmm. And then we did a return trip later at, after dark, hoping that we would maybe see some candles lit. 930 or so. And see someone there. And it had such a different feel being dark Mm -hmm. and. There was no lights on. No. Well, like there street was, lights. There was a street around. light above it, but it wasn't really turned on. So, so it was very. It, it had two very different experiences. Mm-hmm. Where the the first one was definitely the emotion of see, seeing all of those requests and wishes, and feeling all of the emotion, and then at night it just felt desolate. Even though we were in the city, it felt just like a little bit of despair. The barrio is, is very quiet at night. It was uh, very well, quiet. We, I've only been there once. I've only been there for a couple hours, but it was very quiet at the time. And it did, there was a couple of people at the, the cafe. Um, the cars were going in and out of there, but there wasn't any sound. There wasn't any people walking around. It was kind of late on a Saturday night, but it just, you're right. The, the shrine itself felt very empty mm-hmm. and that, I mean, that lends itself, that lends an air to it as well. But. It was it was really interesting, too. Like, earlier when we were there, a lot of candles, like the small little candles that you, like the tea lights. Votive, votive candles? The, yeah, tea light candles sort of set around on, on the big candelabra. Which is the, like, that is a feature of Catholic churches. Yes. And then you had the store-bought... The Saint, um, Saint Candles. Hurricane Saint Candles that were all, I mean, it wasn't just and one those, certain one. Some it of those was have been broken probably 10 years ago and there's tilted glass. over. There's glass everywhere. There's melted wax. There's char on the wall. Mm-hmm. The wall is always wet. It's, like it's, it's weird. In, in pictures that I've seen, even five years ago, it's the same wetness. It's the same, like, same shape of the wet part. Which That's is weird. I don't know if there's like there was a spring on that site. I don't know if it's water seeping up. I don't know if it's like when they come to extinguish the flames because of whatever, maybe they water it down. Maybe it's just oil from a long time ago. I don't know, but it, it's always wet, which is weird. Yeah, it, it did seem really odd. Like I felt like almost there was something being extinguished just before we got there. Like maybe it was that. 
But I mean, when we got there at 4 p.m., it was that way. Mm-hmm. And it was that same way at night. And it was the same way in something that I saw that was a, probably a couple of years old. So, like, I think it's just a feature of the site. And it might just be the, the Adobe wall itself is drawing water up from the ground. I don't know. That could be. But it's just it's another one of those features. That, like, this whole thing is a mystery. Mm-hmm. Like, people come here. They've been coming here for 150 years to do whatever. And it's been protected since the 70s. And it's been a feature of the barrio forever. It's just a very interesting thing to go and see. It's when we when we arrived in the afternoon, there were actually two other couples mm-hmm. that were there, and and it almost felt like I think they might have been from Mexico. It could be like I think they were actually like tourists who came to see Tucson and then ended up down there. They were talking, and it was all in Spanish. Well, not not just that it was in Spanish, but like they were actually saying like they weren't from Tucson. Like you tell, like they just weren't there, so. But it was it was interesting because those were the only people that were there, and I almost felt when we walked in that we were interrupting. Yeah, I felt that a little bit, and uh, they were tourists. They, I mean, there was a guy with a like a um, he had a hipster camera. Like I recognized that camera. Uh, these are college students that came here to take pictures or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like you know they they wanted to clear out just in case we were doing something. But I was also with my camera, so you know. <laughs> But it was definitely, it was wonderful to be able to stand there and yeah. see and experience and just all t- of the touch emotion. The wall and, yeah. you know, touch a wall that's been there since the 40s and people have, like, put so much in. I've never been to Israel, never been to the Wailing Wall, but I assume that, like, even if this is only a tenth as old as that is and has only, you know, a millionth of the amount of people who have touched it, it's still that feeling of, like, there have been a lot of people in this exact spot who have put a lot of energy towards this wall and have mm-hmm. touched it. And I don't know. It was pretty heavy. Very heavy. 